Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington. Today is Monday, March 28th. Here are some stories we are covering this morning. Zimbabwe concludes nationwide by elections that sought to fill posts in the parliamentary and council seats that have become vacant since the last national election in 2018. In the workspaces, there is a lot of uh, inequality, and especially where there is unpaid care work. You know, most of the unpaid caregivers are women. That is where there is a lot of inequality. Inequality in the workplace is still rampant across the world, despite decades of efforts to bring change. Now, the difficulties we are facing in Ghana are not peculiar um, to Ghana. Governments in both developed and developing countries are busily coming out of various prescriptions to bring the economics back on track. And in Ghana, authorities slash government wages and take other measures to cut costs in the wake of rising fuel prices caused mainly by the Ukraine crisis. Those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. Zimbabwe just concluded nationwide by elections that sought to fill posts in the parliamentary and council seats that have become vacant since the last national election in 2018. Raging factional battles in the opposition political party have led to many being recalled, hence leaving leadership posts vacant. From Harare, reporter Kuzai Vinavashi has more details. This election has been about proving which opposition party has the people than it has been about defeating the ruling ZANU-PF. Trust Manda is with the Election Resource Center, or ERC. He briefed the media in a joint press briefing with the Zimbabwe Election Support Network, or ZESNI. Zimbabweans across uh, 28 constituencies and 122 local authorities went to the polls to cast their votes for the long-delayed parliamentary and local authority by elections. For these by elections, the Election Resource Center and Zimbabwe Election Support Network deployed more than 400 trained and accredited election day observers. Makoni says this election had some issues of concern. We've also looked at the political environment during the pre-election period and the election-related intimidation. ERC and ZESIN unreservedly condemn any form of violence and attempt to limit electoral competition through the restriction of campaign. He adds that they also noted incidences that qualify as vote buying through the use of food. In Epworth, there has been reports of use of title deeds to prospective voters. ERC and ZESNI note that the election day was generally peaceful and well administered, but they have concerns over voter cohesion in rural areas. Add to this, the indelible ink was not up to par as it could be easily washed off. They say high numbers of people were turned away from voting, citing they were not registered to vote in that polling station or other irregularities. For VOA, this is Kudzai Nawashe from Harare. The Ethiopian government and rebels in the embattled Tigray region have declared a truce to allow humanitarian aid to reach millions in need. Aid to the region has been limited for months due to the ongoing conflict and accusations that both sides are blocking roads. 
Some experts say humanitarian organizations may find it challenging to reach all people in the country's north. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. After months of little or no access to millions in need, humanitarian agencies will have a chance to distribute food, water and medicine in northern Ethiopia. Some aid organizations are still studying the government's statement on the ceasefire in the Tigray region to determine how much access they will have. In a statement to VOA, Oxfam International County Director Gazahein Kadebe Karbehena called on all worrying parties to honor the truce and allow aid agencies unfettered access to the communities. However, Hassan Kananji, the head of the Horn Institute for Strategic Studies, does not believe the government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, will give aid groups a free hand. Both sides, he says, may fear exposing human rights abuses. They may be afraid in certain instances that humanitarian organizations may have access to some of the evidence of the crimes that were committed during the war. And so I do not think they're going to have a free access to every part they want or to every human soul, you know, who's going to be in need. But they, to the extent that they have some access, I think that is something positive. The Ethiopian government launched a military operation against the Tigray People's Liberation Front rebel group in November 2020. The 16-month-old conflict has claimed the lives of tens of thousands and displaced millions. The conflict spread to other parts of the country and at one point, rebel groups threatened to march to the capital to topple Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's government. Obang Metho, a social justice activist, welcomes the temporary hold to the conflict. There are so many people who are suffering, in, uh, not only in the Tigray region, but throughout Ethiopia, in Afar regions and then in Amara regions. Uh, those people definitely are needing an assistance. So the truth is not only between the, what's happening in the Tigray region alone. I think it's what's happening in Ethiopia. So for sure that uh, my... I hope that uh, it will lead to helping the, uh, the suffering of the people. Hananji says the pressure exerted on the Ethiopian government and the rebel groups has paid off. In part is in response to the growing calls by international community, especially the West, to allow humanitarian access to the Tigray region. It's also partly informed by the growing confidence of the Arabia Emirates government uh, in its ability to contain the Tigray. They no longer see them as an existential threat like they saw them just a couple months ago. The aid groups estimate at least 9.4 million people in Ethiopia need urgent humanitarian aid after fleeing their farms and homes due to conflict. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Ghana's president and ministers have slashed government wages and taken other measures to cut costs in the wake of rising fuel prices caused mainly by the Ukraine crisis. Kent Mensah reports from the Ghanaian capital, Accra. Ghana's president, Nana Akufuado, and his ministers have reduced their wages by 30% amid a raft of other measures to cut expenditures in the wake of rising fuel prices caused mainly by the Ukraine crisis. In a much-anticipated address to the nation, Finance Minister Ken Ofoyata said the government hoped to save around $400 million through measures which include the immediate suspension of foreign travel by government appointees except for critical missions and the purchase of imported vehicles. He said the government has no option but to respond to development on the global market to save the economy. It's important to stress right from the onset that the difficulties we are facing in Ghana are not peculiar um, to Ghana. 
governments in both developed and developing countries are busily coming out with various prescriptions to bring the economics back on track. After the devastating impact of COVID-19, which distorted global supply chains and the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. In response, the opposition leader, led by minority leader Haruna Idrisu, told the media at a press conference that the president's measures are populist and inadequate to cushion Ghanaians from hardship. He's lost touch with reality. He's not in tune with the states of the Ghanaian economy. Our economy today is one that reflects nothing less than a cost of living crisis and a cost of doing business crisis both for citizens and for businesses who are unable to cope with the measures so announced by the Honorable Minister for Finance. We do not find his proposed measures adequate enough. For his part, economist Patrick Osumi told VOA News that cutting expenses is a good move, but it is insignificant to achieve any long-term impact on the economy. I believe in medium to long-term solutions. I think, yes, we are in the crisis. We need to fight the fire. But beyond this, beyond stabilizing the currency over the next few months or, the, I mean, the rest of the year, some things have to give. And also, it's not enough to say, I'm going to do all these cuts to uh, government, government sector workers, I mean, uh, political appointees to the rest of the year. I think we need a more substantial reforms. In the weeks or months ahead, Ghanaians will be looking to see how the measures will affect the economy and also ease the high cost of living. Kent Mensah for VOA News, Accra, Ghana. At the World Water Forum in Dakar, Senegal, people like Olufunke Kofi, the West African representative for the International Water Management Institute, called for scientific solutions for what she said are pressing water security issues in the region. Kofi spoke to Richie Shirok, about the details. We have quite a lot of challenges with water. Incidents of um, dryness, dry spell, drought, flood events, extreme weather events that has led into um, variability in, in water av- availability. So uh, it's a very important that we begin to look at how science can better inform the kind of decisions that are made in the region to enhance water security for the people in the region, to strengthen the, the efforts that are being made by national governments and other development uh, organizations. Can you tell me a little bit specifically about why this is needed in the region? Can you give me some examples of the more pressing issues in regards to water? I think the most pressing issue in regards to what has to do with changes in, in, in water availability. From the IPCC report that has been released recently about water, it shows that the effects going to be very strong in already showing in West Africa. There's two weather events, like I said, that result into either increased flood or, or drought, dry spells during the raining season when people are supposed to be cultivating crops for, for food production. So it's about water change, it's about the variability, it's about the reduction in water, the yield gap that is created because of uh, dry spells and 
all around pollution issues that are very diverse um, issues, I would say, that hinges on, on water, water availability uh, and water security. Can you give me some examples of specific communities just to put more of a face to the people who are suffering from these issues? Can you give me some examples of communities that are suffering from these water issues? In the Sahelian region, let me, let me talk about the Sahelian region, where we have very long, extended long period of, of dryness. That's, a, that's, that's one example, lack of water when it is needed. And when during the short rainy season, when people are cultivating, we need more water. There are more incidences of, of dry spells. And that is in the Sahelian region. Along the coast, there are issues with pollution in the urbanizing areas, uh, in the coastal areas in Western Africa, where we have most of the large cities in the region uh, located. So there are issues with uh, with pollution, pollution of, of water resources. There are issues with um, uh, coastal, coastal erosion. There are issues with uh, salinity and, and along the coast uh, in agricultural fields. These are some of the issues that need more to be, to be addressed, uh, bringing more scientific um, um, innovations that can uh, really help to uh, to address uh, the, the, those challenges. That was Olofunki Kofi, the West African representative for the International Water Management Institute. She was speaking to Rishi Shairok from Dakar. Inequality in the workplace is still rampant across the world despite decades of efforts to bring change. Women still face different biases, are stereotyped, and discriminated against in the workplace. In Kenya, women in human resource management have been urged to use their power to break gender bias and create change. Maureen Jambo reports. Gender inequality is a key issue in Africa and the world as most women still earn less than men. In most cases, they are trapped in low-paid and low-skilled jobs, often in informal economy. According to the International Labor Organization, since 1994, the participation of women in the labor force has declined by 2%. Women as human resource professionals can use their power in personnel issues and as organization leaders to break bias and bring more change at their workplace. The Institute of Human Resource Management in Kenya says the bias makes it difficult for women to move ahead and that women in human resource management or HR have a big role to play in bringing the needed change and action. Mary Anyango is a human resource practitioner in Kenya. So the women in HR are our policies favoring fellow women. Have we outlined it clearly or stipulated that, you know, the, all these departments need to be represented fairly in terms of gender? Women miss out on opportunities. Unfortunately, sometimes because of the way we approach things, are we intentional about how we apply? Do we have the skills that will take us to the next level, you know? Such things uh, can cause the women not to, you know, rise up in their careers and enjoy these opportunities, you know, that are available for them. Some gender-based discrimination at workplace involves violence, especially physical and sexual abuse. It's not unusual for women not to receive less pay, fewer benefits and uh, fewer opportunities or to be bypassed for jobs or promotions for which they are well qualified. But a Kenyan Sheila Raymond says she got to be a boss at her workplace because she is a woman. 
there was an opportunity for an executive director role. So myself, my three other male colleagues expressed interest to get this particular role. And um, actually I was told that um, you are qualified, yes, and the male counterparts are also qualified, but we are giving you this role because you are a woman. I was so shocked. I expected that a male colleague will be given this role because, of course, we know this is something that happens across the board. Many organizations would have favored uh, a male counterpart. And of course, I am qualified for the job. In Africa, there are many recent advances on women's empowerment, including changes in laws to promote equal rights for women. Kenya's chief administrative secretary in the State Department of Gender, Jebi Kilimo, says there is a need to assess the capacity of women to drive the change across sectors of the economy in the society. In the workspaces, there is a lot of uh, inequality, and especially where there is unpaid care work. You know, most of the unpaid caregivers are women. That is where there is a lot of inequality, because men seem to demand uh, payment for everything, and women feel um, obliged to do without uh, asking for a pay. According to the report by the UN Women, the number of employed women around the world declined by 54 million in 2020 as 45 million women left the labor market due to the pandemic, an indication that women have suffered more job losses than men. Reporting for viewers Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. Cyclone Idai has come and gone, but three years later, Zimbabwe officials and aid groups are still counseling victims of gang rapes they say were committed by soldiers who were deployed to help trap citizens. Columbus Mavunga traveled to Chimanimani, about 400 kilometers from Harare, and talks to a teenager who was allegedly gang raped by six soldiers and still feels the pain. <laughs> Those are mainly women from Chimanimani discussing lessons provided by Tago Chajiwanembra, a volunteer mentor about their legal rights under Zimbabwe's constitution. One of them is a 17-year-old girl who says she was raped by six men in army uniform when Cyclone Idai hit this area in 2019. <laughs> Cyclone destroyed our house, so we were moved to temporary shelters, tents. I was then raped by soldiers. After that, they gave me some food. I did not report to police. It was during the night, and there were six. My mother had visited, and thus the time they came, says the lady. Rudo Maputire, a worker from Zimbabwe's Ministry of Health, says the government was told about many cases of women being raped after Cyclone Idai. Maputire says after Cyclone Idai, there were so many rape cases in the area. We helped those that came out to talk about it. But others kept quiet and there was nothing we could do about it as village health workers. But we sent others to the hospital and asked them to report to the police. But our situation is very hard because the police camp is very far. The hospital is very far away. Yet there's HIV and AIDS. We also had a case of a 14-year-old boy who was sodomized. He reported to us late 
after the person had left the area. It's difficult because we are very far from services. No one has been prosecuted for the alleged raps. When some victims said they had been raped by soldiers, a group of soldiers were lined up for identification. However, the victims could not identify the suspects. Chajiwa Nembra is a mentor with the international charity Voluntary Service Overseas. He says many of the post-cyclone rape victims are still tormented by their experience. The effects of cyclone Hidai, they are still ongoing, especially the emotional beat. Women are still uh, traumatized. Women are still, you know, in a state of shock. And um, we are continuously empowering to continue to work with these women to provide mental health services. During Cyclone Idai, young people, particularly girls, were also exposed to vulnerable to sexual abuse. We call it sexual exploitation, where they also to participate in activities like, you know, selling sex. Some of the women said they thought they had recovered from the trauma they went through after Cyclone Idai, but say it comes back every time they see army trucks. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Chimanimani, Zimbabwe. now time for Daybreak Africa Sports and for that let's go to Abuja for Samson Amali. Good morning Samson. Good morning, morning to you too Douglas. We begin the sport with a look at the second leg of the African World Cup qualifiers scheduled for Tuesday the 29th of March. The highlights of the matches will be between the 2022 African Cup of Nations winners the Taranga Lions of Senegal and the Egyptian Faroes. The Egyptians will travel to Dakar with a 1-0 advantage on Tuesday. Cameroon will take on Algeria in another fiery encounter. In the first leg, Algeria rebounded from the group phase African blackout to pull out a 1-0 win over the indomitable Lions at the Japoma Stadium in Douala. Mali will play Tunisia in a tricky tie after the Eagles of Mali suffered a 1-0 defeat in the first leg which was played on Friday after an own goal by Mali defender Musa Sissoko while DR Congo will be up against Morocco. The clash between long-standing rivals Ghana and Nigeria's Super Eagles ended goalless in Kumasi. Tuesday's encounter in Abuja will decide which of the two West African sides will go to Qatar. Interim coach Otto Addo says he does not see Nigeria as favourites going into Tuesday's second leg of their Crunch World Cup playoff. I think the Nigerians saw that we can play as well. They're not here and we are there. Even though the Afghan was not good, I think we matched them up and uh, they got respect. They have uh, high quality players, but um, yeah, in all, I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was equal. So I don't see them in the favor also. The pressure will be on them at home, but, you know, away goals can hurt a lot. For his sport, Super Eagles coach Emmanuel Amuneke is confident the Super Eagles can pull through ahead of booking a place in Qatar. This is a collective team. 
body public, body players, body coaches, we are all in one direction. And what are the directions we want to go to the Qatar World Cup? We want to win the, uh, the ticket to the World Cup. So I think uh, everybody understood how important it is for us to be in Qatar. I spoke to football historian Jerry Udo and sports journalist Deji Ogenbo to share their predictions on the top five teams that may likely progress to Qatar. So my five pick are Nigeria, Senegal, uh, Morocco, Tunisia and Cameroon. Uh, well, Ghana ahead of Nigeria, Senegal ahead of, uh, um, of Egypt, um, Cameroon ahead of Algeria, Tunisia ahead of Mali, and um, yes, Morocco ahead of the Congo. In athletics, it was a dominant performance by African athletes at the 17th Istanbul Half Marathon on Sunday as Kenyan runners Rogers Kwimoe and Helen Obiri won the annual road run, which featured hundreds racing through the Turkish metropolis. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Douglas, in Washington. Thanks, Samson. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead.